there is a, a disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times podcast. I'm Henry. I'm Joe. And I'm Scott. We are back this week with John who is a director of a major Eurozone bank. Welcome, John. Good evening. John was with us just about a year ago. It was in October. And we were talking about the economic situation. And that podcast has been one of our most popular podcasts. So we decided to bring John back and take a look at the economic apocalypse coming this year. Right, John. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 last time I was very to careful it. not to uh, not to speculate about what was going to happen, and uh, I think we need to be uh, realistic about how things are going. No, we just sat down and we listened to the podcast from last year, and we were worried that uh, maybe we'd gotten carried away in dire predictions, and in fact, we were quite astonished at uh, how careful we'd been because you can't know what's going to come, you can't know when it's going to come. All you can do is look at the signs, as we keep saying. And we wanted to look kind of after a year at uh, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and how the economy, why the economy has proven to be so resilient. Well, this is one of the problems because, to be fair, last year, as you said, John, um, you were quite cagey and you weren't making any predictions, but you did say that there were a lot of signs and um, at that time. Uh, a lot of pe- a lot of noises in the uh, in the marketplace um, predicting certain certain things and uh, things certainly seem to be uh, on edge to some degree, which prompted us to to do last year's kind of economic podcast discussing the potentials. Um, how are the signs this year? I think the the thing that's really been learnt in the last uh, last ten months is uh, as as you say. The, Everybody was speculating uh, last year, about this time last year, that the uh, the end of uh, the economic system as we knew it must be nigh. And uh, at the moment, it's obvious that the end uh, is not nigh. It's certainly not nigh uh, this week. And so when we look at that, it's, it's made me ask a few fundamental questions as to uh, the powers that be that are running the system. What, what drives them? What are, what are going to be the criteria and the circumstances that are going to allow them uh, the, the freedom to push the, uh, the economic uh, bus, as the analogy we used last year, over the edge. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, that the, the revision to, to thinking is that per, perhaps the, the timescales are extremely flexible. At the moment, they've been able to get away with pretty much what they want. Uh, they've got a world economic situation which is, is feeding their wars, uh, they've got a basically compliant population. Uh, they've got in the three countries that seem to count for some reason, the United States, the UK, and Australia, a population that seems to genuinely believe in some uh, form of Islamic terrorism. 
So wh- where they're going is is is, is obviously uh, a matter of some speculation. I guess if you can get those people to believe in Islamic terrorism, you can get them to believe that the U.S. dollar is worth something. Yeah, they've managed to do that for quite some time. Uh, and the U.S. dollar, as I think everybody knows, is a uh, piece of paper with green ink on it. Uh, it is backed by nothing. Uh, how they maintain this illusion uh, is, 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 a, is a feat. It's an extraordinary feat. And I think it's to the maintenance of the illusion uh, that perhaps we should be looking because uh, as long as illusion maintains and as long as they can use that illusion to further their various nefarious ends, perhaps they don't need to drop the economy just yet. I still maintain that they do need to drop the economy in due course. And even if perhaps elements in the powers that be feel they can maintain the illusion, it is obvious uh, when you look at it that the system is coming under strain. And it's the strain and the need for the illusion that are perhaps where we should be uh, looking. Well, as we talked about last year, um, you you, you pretty much delineated the way that the kind of economies of individual countries and the global economy is entirely manipulated. I mean, there's there's a general um, perception among ordinary people that economies are something that are that are real that are based on very real factors that are you know you can you can touch them kind of thing but that's not the case as we mentioned last year so if it is as you say manipulated um then that obviously poses a problem as to predicting when um the manipulation is going to change and they're going to manipulate it down downwards it's up to them and as you just said it's probably uh, based on on on, it's got to be based on other factors in, in terms of you mentioned compliant population and maybe uh, wars that are any wars that are happening at, at that particular time yeah it, it is i think there's, there's a few things that have happened uh, in in the last 12 months that point to this uh, this continuing um, maintenance of the illusion and the fact that they're having to use increasingly uh, increasingly dramatic measures to maintain the illusion and the uh, the first thing is the fact that the United States no longer publishes uh, statistics on the amount of money it prints. Now, why would the world's biggest economy, with the world's greatest currency, as we're led to believe, the currency that is the currency of exchange of the entire globe, cease to tell us how much money it's printing? Well, there's only one reason for that, is they must be printing a lot more than they want us to know. So uh, if you think that that dollar you've got in your pocket is one of, say, a few trillion in circulation. If you were to find that they've actually printed another few trillion in the last 12 months, that dollar starts to become relatively worthless. I think that's a fundamental change. That occurred on the uh, 20th of March this year. They ceased to publish uh, what's referred to as M3 money supply statistics. And the other other thing that's going on is uh, the increasing and uh, continuing high levels of uh, the oil price. And one area I think we should be looking at is is what happens to petrodollars. What happens to that oil that is bought at $70, $75 a barrel? And the answer is that it goes into the the pockets of of governments in the form of taxation. It goes into the pockets of uh, very, very large, usually American-controlled oil companies in the uh, form of oil revenues. It goes into the national oil companies of the the host country, that's the polite term for saying the rapee, Uh, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, these countries are all being raped of their wealth and uh, the rapee uh, uh, has an oil company that is government controlled 
and then there are the governments themselves under what are called production sharing agreements where the uh, government of a country gets a slice of the production of the uh, oil wealth that comes out. Now, what do you do? You've got these various parties are holding on to US dollars. They could put it in banks, one might speculate. But banks don't really want that sort of size of money. They've got plenty of money flowing around, and they've got nowhere to put it. So there's only one real home for spare U.S. dollars, uh, if you keep them in U.S. dollars, and that's, uh, that's the United States Treasury. What does the United States Treasury do? It issues uh, United States uh, Treasury bills, and it gives the resulting funds, broadly speaking, to the Pentagon. And the Pentagon then builds missiles and bombs and ships. Who does it issue these... Treasury bills too. Uh, they issue the treasury bills. The tra- a bill is uh, is is a um, it's uh, like a loan. It's a tradable uh, loan certificate. They issue them to the governments and the oil companies and uh, the people who have all these spare dollars. So basically, they, these people lend the money back to the United States government. Well, there was talk a year ago about the fact that China was holding an awful lot of these, and there was speculation that. Some of these other foreign countries that that had the U.S. Treasury bills weren't going to want to maintain such large U.S. dollar reserves in these bills. There were certain months, I recall, where they were having the U.S. government was having trouble selling all of the the bills that they wanted to sell in a month. What's happened in the last year on that? Well, the. Uh the central banks that were uh, speculated about have uh, continued, broadly speaking, to buy dollars, although in lesser quantities. Increasingly, they're moving their purchases into euro uh, and some into, uh, into yen, uh, but primarily into euro. Uh, the statistics you'll have noticed have not been widely publicized because uh, clearly if uh, the central banks in the major, major uh, economies with savings uh, continue not to buy dollars. That's something that the world doesn't want to hear, that uh, particularly the American population don't want to hear. Uh, the Bank of Korea, for example, froze its uh, dollar accounts and now saves primarily in euro, although that was obviously caused a few problems. So the United States immediately announced the pullout of American troops from uh, South Korea. So the South Koreans commenced buying dollars, again, dollar, do- dollar debt. Uh, China has uh, continued to buy dollars, but in uh, reducing amounts. Uh, the game that goes on between China and the United States continues. It's a, it's a, a game of three-dimensional chess, I think. There's so many moving parts going on. Uh, the United States government tells the Chinese government they must uh, revalue their currency because their currency is too cheap. However, if the Chinese government revalued their currency, then uh, American citizens couldn't afford to buy Chinese junk and would have to face the fact that they're not really as wealthy as they feel that they are. Um, and, of course, there's uh, the, the longer game, which is uh, China is clearly being set up as the economic scapegoat in the, in the minds of the Americans. Uh, I think there was a survey uh, sometime in the, about the last three or four months where the Americans said that they believed that China was the greatest economic threat and the greatest uh, sort of power threat to them. Whereas uh, if you actually go to China, they, they regard the United States as a, as a bit of a joke, a place you can get some nice films, you can sell a lot of cheap goods. Uh, but frankly, they, they don't see the United States as a major strategic threat. Uh, China's growing. It's got 1.2 billion people. It's more than capable of looking after itself. It's very happy to sell its goods to the United States, but it can sell its goods elsewhere. Uh, the United States is just one big trading partner. Uh, and they know that the United States is on its way down, that it will not be a major world power. They see it in the next 50 years. 
and they're quite uh, they're quite relaxed about that. Uh, their biggest fear is that as as the uh, the United States collapses, that it will actually thrash out as many empires do. Yeah. The key savers of the world are not really the central banks. Uh, the key the key flows in terms of the people financing U.S. government debt are the people who are selling oil, uh, and the people who are, inv- who are involved in that chain of oil production, oil refining, oil selling, uh, the final selling of uh, petroleum products, so gasoline, that sort of thing. It is all those parties, so whether it's the U.S. government, other governments who collect taxes, companies that collect revenues, companies often collect revenues and then they're obviously taxed by governments or they're indeed owned by governments. It's where, where, where are these dollars going is the key. And where is the sensitivity uh, of the United States government to where these dollars go. And the good example of, of sensitivity is the United States' uh, behavior towards Hugo Chavez, who produces a lot of oil. I believe he sells uh, the United States 13% of its oil needs. But instead of being a good little compliant nation, Hugo Chavez does the absolutely outrageous and rebellious thing with his dollars. He spends them on his people. He doesn't lend them back to the United States. And to the extent that he needs them to trade, he either doesn't uh, sell his oil in dollars at all to other nations. He trades in, in barter in kind. Or where he sells uh, to the United States and, and, and other major world nations that don't want to trade in kind. He takes those dollars, says thank you very much, sells them on the international currency market and gets something of more value, be it gold, euro, yen, other currencies, currencies for which he can trade. And this is a very significant uh, thing that the United States really, really resents because the dollar is like any commodity. As I said earlier, it's just a piece of paper printed with green ink. And if that piece of paper with green ink is not demanded so much, its value drops. And 13% of U.S. oil purchases is a very significant chunk of dollars. And to have that not recirculating back to the United States is clearly upsetting the United States government. And that has to be one of the reasons why they're going after Chavez. Uh, so my, my view, and I think the, the view of, of, of a number of people looking at the situation, is that the reason the oil price is being pushed so high and maintained so high, there's no fundamental basis for it. There's plenty of oil available. The oil is still being pumped. Uh, maybe the odd pipeline gets ruptured for a few days in Iraq, but the reality is oil is still flowing. There's no reason for high oil other than without high oil, the American government would have to acknowledge the fact that it is now bankrupt. So you're saying essentially that the, the high oil price is essentially a way of supplementing, for, of America supplementing its income, that it's maybe lo- lost or losing from people like Chavez or I don't know, I mean, if there's any other implications uh, with other countries around the world who are doing something similar or trying to kind of screw over the American government in a similar economic way, but that this hike in oil prices is a direct, is possibly a, has a direct um, relationship with... Uh, it keeps the demand on U.S. dollars. It keeps the demand on dollars. If you, if you push the oil price up, mm. you double the oil price, it's a very significant part of global trade flows. Mm. And once you've done that, you've, you've increased its share of, of the flow. Mm-hmm. So the amount demand for dollars remains high. Mm-hmm. And, and despite this massive demand for dollars, we've got a dollar sitting at around 126, 127 to the euro, mm-hmm. which uh, is a long, long way from, from what you know, it should be. Well, 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 it's a long way from what it should be. Um, personally, what it should be is uh, 
you know, somewhere else. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, you know, one, one, one US uh, dollar is probably worth something, you know, realistically. Um, well, how much would you pay for a piece of paper with green ink on it? Yeah. I don't know. How much is toilet paper these days? It's not very soft. I'm not yeah. sure about well, its exactly. qualities. So okay, yeah. For lower, lower end of the market toilet paper then. Yeah. There may be quite some demand if they actually print some notes with George Bush's face on it, though. Mm. It'd be an upsurge in demand for dollars. There might be, yeah, exactly. I think there's, um, there's, there's other aspects of, of why the situation is, is being maintained and how it's being maintained. And earlier we, we spoke about the, the illusion of economy. And uh, just taking it rather closer to home, rather than looking at the global macroeconomic flows, What's actually happening on the street? How, how are people feeling? What, what are people actually noticing? And uh, certainly where I live in Asia, we're, we're seeing a number of things happening. First of all, salaries have been frozen for many years. In fact, salaries are often dropping, and those, uh, those people who are suffering salary drops are being told that, uh, don't worry, it'll be fine because when the company does well, it'll come back in your bonus, or we've, we've given you some shares in the company, and you know, that, that compensates you for the fact that you're not being paid so much. Well, I can give you shares in a company. If, 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 if anybody would like to buy some, I can probably sell you some of those as well. Um, the, the reality is that salaries and, and the fixed cost of labor is being reduced. And this is, this is uh, something that people are noticing. Uh, to compensate for this, a number of people, you know, the, a lot of people who have perhaps have uh, previously had maybe one working member of a household now have two working members of a household. Perhaps people who've had two working members of a household are now having to consider uh, an additional work. You know, perhaps one of those people is having to work two jobs. Selling the kids. Selling the kids in Asia is, is quite profitable. I understand that there's quite a, quite a significantly large organization. Its name begins with M, who run quite a significant business um, headquartered in the Middle East. Also within work, I think people are seeing the work demands are going up. And this may seem rather small, but how many people are in, around you or you yourself uh, realize that you're going into work a bit earlier and that the, what you're being asked to do is more and you're leaving a bit later and you're just a bit more stressed by the whole situation? Um, this is happening across the board, but you're being paid less for it, effectively. And then what do you do when you've got that dollar in your pocket or um, you know, that pound in your pocket or that euro in your pocket? You go out and you find that uh, rent or the purchasing power of your uh, money from property has, has reduced. Properties just are so expensive. But this is where banks come in. Because I, I, I know what you're talking about because I have concrete kind of real-world examples from people I know where, uh, you know, particularly in the housing market where house prices have gone up significantly in a lot of places. Um, even here where we are in, in France, I mean, house prices over the past few years have gone, have, have steadily increased. And, uh, but people, as you say, aren't getting paid anymore. So it's harder for them to do this, uh, to, to, to make these purchases. But... And this is where banks come in, is it not? Because at the same time as I've noticed this, I've noticed that banks have been pushing loans on people. Uh, even pe people who 10 years ago would have been interrogated before they were given a loan by a bank manager are now being encouraged to take one. So, you know, that, 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 that solves the problem, supposedly. Well, it seems to solve the problem. Um, but uh, I can remember when I first bought a house, I was told uh, very, very sagely by the, uh, the bank manager that I could borrow two and a half times my salary and that that was it. Uh, there was no, no negotiation. 
And yet today in the UK you can borrow uh, six times your salary. Um, in Singapore you can borrow nine or ten times your salary. In Hong Kong the same. In Japan you can borrow for 50 years. You can actually leave uh, a mortgage in your will. Hello, kiddies. Thanks very much. It was really nice knowing you. And by the way, he has a shitload of debt. Um, it's, it's an extraordinary situation. Banks have, have just been playing this game. Uh, but could that be seen as one of our potential signs uh, of something going to, to change, a major shift? Because what we're really saying there is that uh, people are being forced into debt, more and more debt. Uh, they get a house uh, now still even at, a, at the inflated prices, but essentially they own less of that house or maybe none of that house at all, and they owe a lot more to the bank. And, I mean, if this is happening across the board and a lot of people are going into more and more debt and are being forced into more and more debt by this set of circumstances that you're describing, I mean, when if there's an economic collapse and jobs are lost and income is lost, you know, the bank owns, the bank owns everything, right? The bank owns you. And it owns more and more people. So, I mean, I don't know. That's just a speculation. Again, we're not into, you know, kind of giving any kind of predictions. But Well, the bank does own you. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to look at uh, it's sort of very significant economic changes. Imagine an economy whose um, activity drops by 5%. That means it was, a, it, was a, it was a $100 billion economy and it becomes a $95 billion economy. That means that's $5 billion not circulating in that economy. Now, naturally, that means that there's a percentage of people who are not going to be working. Mm. If those people aren't working, they don't have any money, they can't pay the mortgage. So what happens? The bank comes along and says, thank you very much. We really, we really enjoyed lending you that money. Uh, now you can't pay us that money. And uh, in the UK, there are revised bankruptcy laws. In the United States, there are new bankruptcy laws came in about two years ago that enable the bank to evict you. And they will just simply come in and say, you cannot afford the, the debt. Uh, thank you very much. Very nice property. See you around. And it's not going to take a great deal for that to happen. And uh, I think that there's, there's, the, there's the inflation that's going on in, in, in property. There's the inflation in rents, of course, because that's the other alternative. And one thing I would suggest to anybody is, is if you've got a property that's very, 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 very valuable and a large, large, large debt, if those two are currently equal, I'd suggest you sell, get rid of the debt. Hmm. But, but other things relating to inflation, uh, other prices are increasing. I think most of us uh, go to the supermarket and realize that it's uh, costing us a lot more to walk through that checkout uh, each week. Uh, we go to the gas station and clearly oil prices have, have pushed up gas prices. But pretty much whatever you want to do, it's gone up. You want to get in an aeroplane, uh, unless it's easy jet at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're going to pay a fair amount for that. Uh, everything is much more expensive, yet we're told that uh, inflation across uh, most major economies is only about uh, 2%, 2.5%. Yet yeah, we all know that's a complete lie. Mm. Um, so people are under economic pressure. And as, as you say, they've been borrowing more money. So you have to ask yourself, why? Why would the system allow this to happen? But historically, is this something that has happened before? Is this something that goes in cycles? Um, I mean, you know, we're saying that the cost of living is going up. Salaries to finance that new or higher cost of living uh, are not increasing to match it. And the banks are stepping in to finance this higher cost of living. So the bank is owning a larger and larger 
part of your life in terms of what you your wealth. Uh, but is this something that kind of ebbs and flows in terms of what it reduces again? And I mean, has it happened in the past? Or? Yeah, this this is kind of an important question, I think, because a lot of people uh, will, you know, uh, I, I've spoken to a lot of people and and I've sort of relay some of these some of this data to them, and they say, well. You know, it's just a cycle, and the same thing happened before. You know, the high oil prices went up, and housing prices went up, and then it just went back down again. And so I think many people aren't really doing anything, uh, especially in the U.S., because it's just simply, it's just the cycle. And, yeah, it might get bad, but it'll get better again. And so what's your take on that? Um, my, my take is that that would be wonderful if it was true. Uh Never before in the history of modern economics have we ended up with the extreme situation that we have today. Uh, never before have we had the single greatest economy in the world, and uh, that is the United States, essentially bankrupt, borrowing far more money that can, it can ever hope to service, pay off, you know, even, even pay the interest in a generation. That, that is one extreme. Uh, never before have we had so much consumer debt. I mean, that's the debt that each of us holds on our credit cards, on our auto loans, and as we've been talking on houses. Never before have people been able to borrow so much money. Uh, in the Great Depression in the United States, and, and, and which rippled across Europe, most people rented property. If you have an economy where 70 or 80% of the people rent property, you can be a landlord. You can ask $400 for an apartment a week, but if there's nobody there to pay it, you'll settle for 100 But now in the United States, over 70% of people own their own property officially. That's the legal title, is officially with them. Now, of course, the economic title is with a bank. But that's going to be a new situation that the world has never seen before. Economic crises where people are going to be thrown out of properties, unless, unless there is a reason why the banks are going to be persuaded not to. And again, this other thing is going to come to the illusion. If it suits the powers that be, and I think it will suit them, as things do start to get worse, uh, and I think the last time we were discussing that maybe the, you know, the, the, the bus being driven fast off the cliff was the analogy, uh, it might be the case that they're not going to drive the bus fast off the cliff. It's going to be uh, like going down a set of stairs. It's going to be little bumps at a time. And each time there's a bump, yes, yeah, sure, there'll be victims. Uh, but who knows who those victims are going to be? Is it going to be the, the comfortable middle class or the blue-collar production line worker? Well, we know it's not going to be, right? It's not going to be George and his friends. <laughs> As you're talking about that, it comes to mind that it could be used again as another form of control. And the banks and the governments can go to these go to people who are starting to default on their mortgage payments. And if... The banks may not want to get all of this property where, you know, what's the bank going to do with it? But it becomes a way to say to people, okay, if you want to stay in your house, well, this is what you got to do. It does. I mean, uh, many countries, including the United States, uh, mortgages are insured by the United States government. In the U.S., it's uh, Fannie Mae and uh, Freddie Mac are the uh, insurance providers. Those are government agencies. Uh, maybe, maybe it is a way of... Uh, getting people into a position where you can control them. Perhaps if you give up your eldest son for the uh, service of the great nation, we'll send him to um, Iran or Syria or some other place where we're fighting our latest war. Makes sense because, you know, you send them off and they come home in a box and that's one less mouth to feed, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be 
an overt kind of coercive manipulation. It's done as a, you know, if you have a member in the military, then the government will meet your your mortgage or, or, you know, whatever. So it can be done almost as a gift so that the the manipulative uh, aspect of it is hidden just to keep people in line. Something we didn't do last time, which I'd like to get into, speculation. Not prophecy, not prediction. It's at the time already. <laughs> <laughs> not prophecy, not prediction, or speculation. Basically, you've got something you want to invest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> market speculation. No, uh, in terms of we're talking about an economic potential economic collapse. How would it happen? Potentially, an example. What what, what would possibly push it over the edge? And uh, would it fall all the way? Would it f- is, are, are there levels to which it can fall? Or if it falls, does it go all the way to the bottom? I mean, you mentioned the stairs, bump, 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 bump. But um, how would it happen? Yeah, that's an uh, extremely difficult question. Yeah. The, the question, I think, relies on which leg of the illusion fails. And obviously to speculate on that is extremely difficult. Um, this time last year, I'd have told you that the scenario was that the United States dollar would fail. It is a failed currency. Uh, everything has been set up at the time we knew that they were going to stop publishing these statistics about how much money they were printing. Now, every logical person, I think, when they look at, look at a currency, I mean, for example, I think if the Japanese government said it was going to stop telling anybody what the hell was going on inside Japan, the yen would collapse. Um, and there would be sort of, you know, some sort of flight to some form of quality. But the United States has got away with just saying, well, we don't really need to tell you, you know, how much money we're, we're printing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just suggested that the, that the dollar would collapse, mm-hmm. that that would drive uh, U.S. companies into extremely difficult positions. It would then cause a ripple effect across the global economy. Mm-hmm. I think we'd start to then see that uh, international trade would start to collapse because the, the trade systems work as long as you've got stability. You can have a currency that's collapsing by 5% a month, but as long as it's continuing to collapse by 5% a month, people can adjust. It's high degrees of volatility. It's a bit like a, a ship. If you put into a very, very rough sea with lots of twisting and bending, eventually it breaks apart. Uh, yet if you put into big, big swelling seas, as long as there's not the twisting and bending, it'll, it'll survive uh, very well. Uh, and I, I think it's it's the it's going to be the volatility. It's going to be the the extreme stresses uh, that would that would break the system. What would cause the dollar to collapse? Everybody suddenly realizing how useless it it was. Um, it's a lack of economies of confidence. Things. Mm-hmm. Um, the the key thing that backs the U.S. dollar is the confidence that the United States will continue to function. It will continue to pay the interest, and that there's nowhere else to put the money. Now, one of the things that may be developing is that there's just basically a lack of choice. Uh, Europe is trying, relatively speaking, not to borrow as much as the United States. So you've got the U.S. is is demanding all this money. It's a good home. It's paying generous interest rates. I mean, uh, two years ago, interest rates were down at sort of the 2% level. Uh, They're now at the 5% level. Uh, Not high historically, but high relatively. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, It's the illusion of continuity that is absolutely crucial. I think the thing that will probably break it is not going to be an economic thing. 
I think something will come out about the events on the, uh, that have been going on the face of this planet in the last few years. Something will come out about the illusory nature of the war on terror. Something will come out about what the real role, perhaps, of, uh, of Israel in, in certain global events has been. Uh, something will come out about the real situation in terms of the supply of food on the planet. Uh, maybe, maybe something will be manipulated. Maybe they'll deliberately push the system with a, a bird flu pandemic. Uh, something will cause a massive loss in confidence. We had an interesting situation in, uh, in May, June this year, when uh, the, the, the value of, of debt instruments, the value of bonds in the international market collapsed. And a number of speculators uh, suggested this was it. This was the beginning. This was the first big drop in the staircase. Uh, we've seen property values drop 4 or 5% in some areas of the United States, some areas of the United Kingdom. Uh, and the, the, the feeling was that perhaps this was it. This was that the international markets had last realized that these companies couldn't pay their debts, that some of the very highly structured uh, methods for, uh, for borrowing money were no longer viable. Bang, this was this it. And a lot of people you know, sort of ran for the window. Um, it's, it's, an, it's interesting that you talk about confidence because, I mean, it, it's almost like you're saying that as long as something like you're, you're describing doesn't come out about that, that negatively affects world perception of, of America, uh, that, that things can continue. But the, if, if it does happen, if, if America's image or, or something comes out like you're describing, that... It would be mere sentiment uh, that would, but but that kind of posits that. I mean, who are these people who would be feeling this? <laughs> you know, this, you talk about sentiment; it's feeling. I mean, we're talking about people. We're talking about major, high-level world government uh, level here, right? Uh, and I would kind of, being conspiratorially minded, I would assume that um, just a little bit conspiratorially minded. That I would assume that these people. At this level around the world, oh, well, they, well, they know what America. If, if America's got a secret, they know what the secret is. But maybe it's that you're saying that you know, okay, we'll keep your secret as long as no one knows. But as soon as it's exposed, I'm sorry, we don't want to touch you with a with a barge pole type thing. You know, you're you're, you're you've got leprosy now. You know what I mean? Get away. You know. And uh, I mean, is that the level that we're talking at? The, well, the that, that's, um, if if I could answer that question, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd uh, have a very substantial mansion in the United yeah. States somewhere, and I'd be one of them. Okay. Um, and, and so far, they haven't invited me into the club. It's, prob it's, it's probably the company I keep. <laughs> it's a good question. The <laughs> it's a good question, the, the, the illusion in question. Who, who believes? The reality is that uh, the, the, the currency traders uh, in, the, in, in the world's banks are the people who push markets around on a, on a daily basis, but they are able to be manipulated by, as we mentioned last time, things like plunge protection and uh, for various other market manipulation mechanisms. And uh, this may be the reason why we haven't seen the, the fundamental collapse that uh, we would reasonably speculate would occur, is that indeed on some level these people are all working together. And I think uh, there's, a, there's an interesting example, which I still haven't worked out, which is, Iran is being told that unless it complies with a series of completely illusory demands based on the fact that it doesn't have a nuclear program but it has to prove it doesn't have it, proving a negative, by the way, is illegal under common law. So it's interesting that this is the uh, process that the United Nations is uh, proposing to, uh, to, to uh, impose on Iran. That Iran, this country that supplies so much oil to the rest of the world, that has so much, therefore, fundamental economic power, doesn't go and tell the United States to go and um, go and stuff it. 
um, at what level are these people operating? I mean, it's, uh, has have the sort of the, the, the big boys been told, look, you know, there's a nice underground bunker for you in Philadelphia or somewhere? I mean, who, who knows? I mean, if I was the Iranian president, the first thing I'd be doing is opening my doors to all nuclear inspection. I'd be publicizing massively the realities of my nuclear program. I'd be selling my, all my oil in euros, and I'd be subsidizing other people to do the same. Uh, I would refuse to sell any oil to the United States of America. I'd be finding alternative markets. Uh, and I would point out that I controlled the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, and I'd be exacting a toll on all ships that were destined for the United States. Uh, and, and I'd be playing those cards, except they're not playing them. So I- exactly what, what maintains this system? And I think this is, this is a situation we all find ourselves in, which is rather odd. You know, China even seems to play the game. You know, the United States gets up and says, oh, China, you know, the evil panda. <laughs> human rights and all oh, human rights, absolutely. I mean, China can imprison a few people, and it's dreadful human rights. America can do the same, and it's a war on terror. Um, if we haven't seen very many pictures, have we, of Iraq has been crushed by American tanks? No. Yes, public mm. Tiananmen Square is the, is the image that was in my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. But we, we don't see those pictures. We don't see those, no. Um, so, so how it all works, how it's all connected, is extremely difficult. Um, the uh, the other day, I was speaking to a friend, and they, they said that uh, they, they found two economies particularly interesting. They were the economies of Dubai and Singapore. Now, you look at these two places, and I have I mean, no disrespect to uh, two extraordinary governments who, who've managed to to take economic illusion to the ultimate degree. Uh, both of them are. <laughs> They're both tiny places with, with, with people. That's all they've got. And out of these people, they have managed to create these massive economies, which have these extraordinary, I mean, uh, Singapore's uh, government reserves are, make it per capita the richest nation on the planet. Uh, Dubai has something in the region of 15 or 20 percent of the world's tower cranes operating, building, building, building. And neither of these countries has any natural resources whatsoever. So you have to ask, how, how are these economies built? What, what is it these economies do that allows world powers, um, and ultimately you know, we are talking about world powers, allow economies to succeed? What is it they do? What, what are these flows that they facilitate? Uh, yeah, sure, on the face of it, there are certain trade flows. that I mean, Singapore is, is, is the gateway to Asia uh, if, if you're coming anywhere from the West. Dubai is perhaps it's the gateway to the Middle East. Uh, it's awfully close to the fallout cloud from Israel, if you ask me. But um, you know, we're, we're, how it all works is becoming increasingly difficult to see because you know, if you're a trained economist, you say, well, when I look at supply and demand and economic pressures, and America is a drunk man who has borrowed too much money, who can never pay it back, who is out of control with a bundle of weapons, high on the most extraordinarily intoxicating drugs, you'd never lend a dime to that sort of person. Yet people continue to support the American economy. It's, it's unbelievable. And you go to other countries. I mean, you go to countries where people actually produce things. They really grow real food that's really nutritious. They actually make things that people really want. And yet when they want to borrow money, it's, well, yes, we might be able to do a little deal with the IMF, but in order to do it, you've got to shut 10 hospitals, put another 20,000 people out of work, uh, and allow your ports and your airport to be sold to XYZ, PLC, or Inc., which just happens remarkably to be owned by the developing world. 
So none of it fits together. It, it, and and it, it, it boggles the mind as to how this system maintains its illusory nature. And I think the thing we, that I'm really starting to, um, starting to sort of having to grapple with is last time when we spoke, I was looking at it as a sort of almost a theoretical thing, saying that this system, the theories that govern this system have to be coming to their end. The, 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 the tension uh, in this material is, is getting to the point where we're going to suffer metal fatigue. The, you know, the, all the elastic bands are going to snap. The metal is going to twist and rip apart. Everything's got to fail, but it's not failing. And it really does raise a fundamental question: What's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting point about the uh, and uh, very true about um, when you talk about countries that actually produce something of some value, you know, nutritious food, uh, products that people actually need, uh, uh, and these countries are kind of are, are subjected to the kind of the, the worst kind of economic treatment or the most or the harshest economic treatment. Whereas other countries, like as we mentioned, Dubai and Singapore, that by and large, uh, produce the, the frills of, of capitalist societies. Uh, they are awash in, in cash. Um, and, I mean, we can see a parallel to that or how that translates down to the individual level because in, in Western capitalist countries or capitalist countries around the world, uh, more and more people are people are spending their money on things they don't need, on, on, on nothing, on illusion. I know of someone in, uh, as an example, in Dubai, you mentioned Dubai, someone in Dubai who... Uh, provides a product, he has his own company, and he provides uh, a product which is essentially uh, presentations for, for companies uh, that want to, a company that will have its annual general meeting or wants to have a large conference for customers, and he provides uh, the presentations, essentially, like the PowerPoint presentations. And uh, he does very, very little work. I mean, he pushes a couple of buttons on his laptop computer and uh, and makes things happen, and he charges what? are for the ordinary person inordinate sums of money. Uh, so there's all this money coming to him and coming, and he's just a small example. There's people above him that generate or, or, uh, much greater incomes, but equally based on providing nothing, really, nothing of any value. And that's been inflated and inflated and inflated. Uh, where, you know, So you have large uh, numbers of billions of people in the world who have nothing in, in these countries that... Uh, that that could produce something maybe like um, you think of Africa and uh, people who um, people who are who are essentially starving uh, and and other people in, in capitalist countries I say who are uh, you know providing services that are of no value to anyone really and uh, it's 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 it it like like you mentioned it's almost like uh, it'll be inflated to the point where the the, the bubble must burst this illusory bubble world. Well, yeah, but, but that, perhaps this is, 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 this where, this is where, we, where we should be sort of focusing our attention. Uh, the end game um, is perhaps to create this, these, these extraordinary levels of distortion, extraordinary wealth in the hands of a very, very small number of people, and extraordinary poverty in, 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 on the backs of the, the vast majority of people. And uh, we, we've seen this very successfully achieved over a number of years. The, uh, the chief weapon of choice at the moment is the IMF and the World Bank. Um, any organization that says its, uh, its primary aim is the alleviation of politi- poverty and then allows Paul Wolfowitz to serve on its board has to be Machiavellian in the extreme. So we must assume and obviously look at the record of the World Bank in its single greatest success is the creation of poverty across the globe. And perhaps this is it. Perhaps the... 
that, that this is an extraordinarily dynamic system. If they can create what they want, which seems to be this, this massive economic distortion, they don't need to create a crash. They just need to twist and push. And th this distortion we were talking previously about house prices and people's debt, if you've loaded people up with this debt and they have nowhere to go, you own everything. You own the house, you own their car, you own everything they have. And they haven't had the wherewithal to, um, to, to listen to a you know, Signs of the Times economic podcast and consider the realities of the world or indeed read the website and consider the realities of the world. They, they're a prisoner and, and they can be pushed around and, and pushed down and their salaries can be depleted and their, 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 their economic freedom is, well, they don't have any economic freedom, but their illusion of economic freedom can, can, can be taken away from them very, very rudely. If that can be done without major crisis and the system can maintain, then if, if I was you know, the wizard behind the curtain, uh, you, you don't need drama. If you can do this sort of gently and, and twisting, and, and this has been done quite successfully. I mean, one of the, one of the most successful economies in Latin America uh, 10 years ago was the economy of Argentina. And, uh, you know, Argentina went through a crisis. Uh, savings were wiped out, the destruction of the middle classes, the impoverishment of the working classes. And now you've got a situation where the wealth of Argentina is, is still as it was. I mean, it's a very wealthy country, but even fewer people own it now. And large chunks of it are now owned by international corporations. Uh, and the IMF is still telling – it was actually very annoyed. There was a, there was a quite an interesting comment by uh, somebody from the IMF that uh, Argentina had been incredibly responsible paying all its IMF debt back when it couldn't really afford it, which was a sort of – to my mind was a way of saying – Argentina didn't play the game. We didn't get to screw them quite hard enough. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they sort of understood what was going on. It's interesting because the, there's an IMF meeting coming up on the uh, – running from the 10th to the 20th of September. And uh, clearly it's a contentious organization. It's, it's done a lot of things in, in the last few years that have attracted a lot of uh, opposition. And uh, if you're going to hold a, uh, an IMF conference, one of the best places you can hold it just to ensure there's no – Opposition, and it's a very smooth, nice conference, would be somewhere like Singapore, and that is exactly where it's being held. And I, I do wonder if perhaps it is, it is being held in Singapore, which was a location that was chosen a number of years ago, with, uh, with an understanding that they'd need somewhere safe where there was going to be no protest, where newspapers will only cover what the IMF does if there are burning tires in the streets, if there are riot police on the streets. Um, in Singapore, there'll be a number of orchids around, uh, a number of nice trips out into the surrounding region. The weather's excellent. The food is superb. It's a very peaceable country. There'll be no demonstrations, uh, not because nobody objects to the IMF, but because it's illegal to demonstrate. It's, it's a well-chosen location, and therefore there'll be nothing to cover. So there'll be no debate. There'll be no, no consciousness in the public mind that, what is this organization? What does it do? How does it contribute to this, this balance of economic power? So perhaps this is what's going to happen. We're, people are, we're, we're being fed lies daily by CNN and the BBC. And I, I won't even mention you know, other, other news channels that just feed people complete rubbish. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is just all it is, is the, the, the illusion is just going to be maintained and maintained and maintained. And it, it's, it, it doesn't need a crash. It just needs twisting and, 
and, and tw- bending. And if you tell people that inflation is 2.5%, despite the fact that they know that they're buying you know, 10 or 15% less with that salary, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, it's, uh, inflation is only 2.5%. And you know, it, it must be me. Maybe I'm going out too much or something. I mean, whatever it is they sort of do to self-calm themselves. Uh, and maybe that's it. Maybe there isn't going to be some dastardly crash. But it's still going to leave every person who earns a salary in the position that they would be in as if there had been a crash. It's going to be worth less. If you're an American citizen and the U.S. dollar becomes worth its real value, which is, um, as we would like to say in England, two-fifths of fuck all, then you'll, you won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to buy anything anyway. You're going to be completely beholden to the United States, which, um, by the way, is a country that doesn't even produce enough food to feed itself. Um, maybe that's where it's going to go. I don't know. All of this is very far removed from the average person in terms of we're talking about the IMF and the global economy and the people that pull the strings. And obviously none of us sitting here or anybody else that's listening to this or anyone else in the world really can uh, can do anything about it. Uh, they can't change it. They can't protest, especially not in Singapore or America these days. Or Britain. Or Britain. Within or, a kilometre yeah, of Tony Blair. Yeah. Increasing number of places, but uh, that's another issue. But um, I mean, l- yeah. Well, I mean, last last year you talked about um, you give some pointers as to what people could actually do, and I mean, we we had to get in the fact that, uh, or the, the the point that we have repeatedly made, which is very important for people to come to terms terms with, which is that you essentially are screwed. Uh, you are being screwed, and you're going to be screwed more um, and uh, that alone I suppose it can be a catalyst for doing something but the doing is going to be at a personal level is there anything that people can actually do or is it just enough for them to say oh look you know I'm being completely manipulated uh, financially um, I'm being screwed financially in every, uh, every which way that's nice, you know. Uh, you, you've talked about people who might have houses and debt, and they can sell their houses and pay off their debt. But there are a lot of people who don't have houses. There are a lot of people that don't have mutual funds. There are a lot of people that don't have any gold and don't have the funds to purchase the gold. What to do? If you're just an ordinary person, you rent a property. You earn a salary, maybe you have a car, you, d- you don't have all these fancy things. Uh, I think you have, to, you have to try and work out what is you're doing and what your fle- level of flexibility is. And the, the, I think the single greatest thing you can do is to work out who your real friends are, who your real family are, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and start to work together. It's only through collect- collective work uh, working together in, in Western societies, we've been so conditioned to s- be be separate and be independent. And if independence is is our greatest motto in many ways, you know, you're 18 on that 18th birthday. Your parents give you two things. Uh, you know, they, they they give you some sort of. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, a wedding coat, said. Uh, you know, uh, they, they give you something and then they kick you out of the house, <laughs> and they tell you, oh, "Wonderful, there you are. You're a man, or you're you're a grown girl now. Out you go. Uh, you go and fend for yourself in the world." Um, uh, as I mentioned, I, I actually live in Asia, and the Asians take a very different view. You, you stay stay at home, and you, you know if there's a family business, you work in the family business, and you try and grow things collectively. And 
Um, it might mean having to live with your mother-in-law or your grandmother, but uh, they get round it. Um, and, and that's something I think in the West we really need to consider. Uh, we, we only have real power if we act collectively. Uh, if, if, you, if you're renting a property and you've got a couple of kids who've got their own places and they're renting and they're doing a, you know, they're doing a regular job and you know, maybe you've got a brother or a sister, consider working together or maybe you've got some friends. Work together. Work out what you can do. Maybe the, the price of a bigger place to live together is going to be less than the, the, the sum of all the places that you're currently renting. If you've got you know, three cars between you, maybe, maybe you only need two. Um, if, if you are able to work together in some way, if you, if you, it's the simple things. It's the extraordinarily simple things. Work together. Work out what it is you're going to need. Work out what your flexibilities are. If you think you're in a job that's at high risk, think about what you're going to do now. What can I do? Uh, you speak English. Don't, don't forget that there's people out there who really value the fact you speak English. Uh, there are countries out there who will employ you if you, if you, if you can you know, consider what you might do outside the country or outside your state or outside your town. Think, think of the, the wider world. Think of what you can do together you, you, as, as, a, as a family or a group of friends. You might have something you can do that people would highly value, and they'll value it at more than $5.50 an hour. Do you think it's valuable for people to, um, to imagine a worst-case scenario where, for example, their, their house is repossessed by the bank, uh, they've lost their job, um, you know, and, and they have little, little income? What would they do in that situation? Put themselves in that position, position and think, what would I do? Where would I go? Uh, you know, maybe even add, throw in you know, food being... Uh, in limited supply, you know, supermarkets, uh, few and far between. What would you do? I think the uh, the difficulty is that that starts to sort of naturally push one to the, uh, as, I, as I said last time, I don't go into the woods in America much mm -hmm. uh, to, to sort of meet the guys with the M60 uh, and the, the, the year's supply of rice and, uh, you know, lots of books about Vietnam or something. Uh, I, I think what, what you do is you, you have to be practical. Look at what happened in Katrina. Look what the U.S. government did. They didn't actually do anything to support the most vulnerable people. They actually made the most vulnerable people, they criminalized them for their desire to survive. They, they, they put them into the stadium, which the stories that were coming out of there were pretty horrific. They put uh, armed patrols on the street. They, they've done nothing, and then... Now the, most of the media attention is gone, and you'd have thought that the most powerful government in the world, a government that can spend th over $300 billion murdering a few hundred thousand Iraqis and stealing a country's oil wealth, could at least spend a few billion dollars of that on looking after its own people. It's very apparent that they have no interest in you whatsoever. So the answer to the question is with another question, which is, what is your neighborhood like? Where are your friends? What can you do together? You're only going to survive the worst circumstances if you work together. Running isn't going to necessarily work for everybody. However, consider where you're from. Many people in the United States are very proud of their immigrant background. If you come from a country that perhaps allows the fact that you can hold a passport because your grandparents were born there, Maybe an Irish passport would be a very useful thing to have or an Italian passport or a Greek passport or indeed a passport from wherever else your family may have come or maybe just an American passport. 
You know, Americans are still allowed to travel. You might be able to leave the country freely. I wouldn't suggest taking a copy of the Quran or wearing anything on your head, but uh, you can still travel freely. Um, if you can't travel, if, if, if the idea of leaving the United States is, is, too, is, is too much, if you feel you've got too many responsibilities, just consider really getting yourself into a position which is completely un-Western. Start living with the people around you. Start actually looking around you and saying, who are the people who I live next to? Can I, do I have anything in common with these people? What can I do together? Because People you can trust, right? People you can trust, people who are not going to walk in your house and shoot you to get whatever you have, but are actually going to work with you to protect what you have. Um, it's not a matter of running away. I mean, this, these events, as I say, the, the economic stress situation that, that causes the final fracturing in a society. Last time I made the comment about quoting Kissinger that's when he said in 1992 at the Bilderberg Group that uh, if you put the soldiers on the streets of uh, Los Angeles today, the, the people of Los Angeles would rise up in rebellion. But if you created the right situation, they would beg you to put soldiers on the street. Picture that situation. American soldiers on the street. Now, you've seen them. They wear black. They wear gas masks. They look like SWAT teams. Those people that are currently glorified in movies, they're coming to get you if there's an economic collapse. And if you're too damn hungry and too damn desperate and you decide to take the law into your own hands, they're going to be there to stop you. So that's clearly not an option because you're going to get stopped. So work out what you can do. Work together. It's, it's, I know it's a complete anathema to most of us, but actually start to see the things you have in common with people rather than seeing the things which those people represent as threats. Uh, it may sound rather, rather philosophical, but frankly, if, if that's the situation you're in, it's, we are each other's only hope. And one final point. If you go out a lot, you go out to nightclubs, you have a good night out, maybe play a game of golf, maybe go and shoot some pool, consider the value of being well-informed. Consider taking one of those nights out, maybe 50, 100 bucks a week, whatever it is you spend, maybe 50, 100 bucks a month, and consider donating it to signsofthetimes.org. Because sources like Signs of the Times, and I'm serious here, sources like Signs of the Times will give you the ability to see the world situation. But I've visited these guys, and I can tell you that they, they live on pretty much sod all. And what they're doing and the ability to tell you what's going on in the world is extremely important. And they cannot continue to do it. and They cannot continue to have a bigger voice and a more important effect without money. And frankly, for the amount of money you spend on a night out, wouldn't it be better to spend that money and continue to look at the website, continue to hear podcasts, continue to get more services from people who actually care, people who actually have a care in the world about you and care what happens to you and care what happens to you, the face of this planet, um, rather than spending it out going in and getting drunk and forgetting about the horrors of going to work every day and the fact that your government is a murderous, genocidal government that supports policies around the world which are completely against the uh, benefits and interests of most of the people on this planet. And on that note, that bank note maybe, we will say goodbye for this week. We'd like to thank John for coming by again and hopefully we'll be having him back to continue these discussions in the future it may be post-economic collapse or pre-economic collapse again or time will mid, tell or mid, mid. that would be exciting mid, mid would be a doozy yeah, yeah the pre-tribulationists the <laughs> post-tribulationists 
If you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Signs of the Times, you can click on the subscription image, which is in the right-hand column of the Signs page, and that will take you to a page where you can subscribe for a, a small monthly amount, a large monthly amount if you'd like. If every reader of the Signs page or listener of our podcasts would donate just 10 euros a month, which is, I mean, when you go to a soda machine and you pay like two fifty for a can of Coke, uh, you know, we're, we're asking for four cans of Coke a month. That's one can of Coke a week. Uh, and if, if every one of our readers and listeners uh, could donate that amount, we would be able to expand our operation. We would be able to provide even greater coverage of the, the news that really matters. And we wouldn't have to have any annoying fundraisers. <laughs> So thank you for any support you can provide. And that's it for this week. If you'd like to discuss uh, tonight's topic or any other topic, you can visit the Signs of the Times forum, which is linked off of the Signs page at signs-of-the-times.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.